So, we are in week two of this series, which is called Like Jesus, and last week we talked about no. We talked about him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how he asked directly to, to God the Father. Now, Jesus obviously was in on the plan, because Jesus is God, and I know that theologically it can be tough to understand, but it's true. But while he was on earth, he was fully human and fully God, so he was living like we would live, setting each day an example of how we would do things, how we would pray, how we would talk, how we would treat other people. And so he prayed for release if it were God's will. And it wasn't that he didn't want to die for us because he wanted to die for us. He wanted us to have that sacrifice. But he loved us so much. He loved being around us. He loved teaching us. He loved helping us uh, that he basically is just saying, hey, I wish that I could stay here. But the answer, as we know, was no. And sometimes when we pray, uh, the answer is no. We like to think that it's always going to be yes, or we like to think even that it's going to be wait. Sometimes it's no. And so we talked about that at least that last week and how to deal with that and how to move forward and how to find other goals and why. It's not no because he hates us. It's not no because he doesn't listen. It's not no because we're not worth it. It's not no because we don't have enough faith. It's just that we have to continue doing our best and going forward in that way. This week, we are going to talk uh, a little more about the crucifixion and just before the crucifixion and what he went through. Now, one of the things I asked the adults this morning, and I'm going to tell you, uh, even at your age and regardless of how much you go to church, you've heard this story a lot in your life. Like even people that have that go to church like once a year or never go to church know the story of the crucifixion. And I say that because the more we hear it, the more we hear the Christmas story, the more we hear David and Goliath, the more we hear like the real popular stories, the more they just kind of become stories. And the more it's like, oh, well, you know, this is the story of Jesus on the cross. This is something that actually happened. It's something that actually took place. He actually went through this pain. So I want you to Think about that as if it's the first time you're hearing it about what it would be like to see it, what it would be like to be there watching as this happens. So we're in Matthew uh, 27, 32 through 44. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. Uh, so basically, to start with, you might have the question, why would they have someone else carry Jesus' cross? Like if they wanted to punish him, and they wanted to kill him, and they wanted to beat him, and he had been beaten severely, he had been beaten to the point that his back was torn open, uh, like so many times, like they used this cat of nine tails whip, and it had like metal spikes in it, and it dug into his flesh and pulled out bits of bone and flesh when it came out. And I get that that's graphic, but it's graphic for a reason, because he went through this for us. He knew this was going to happen. It wasn't just the death. It was everything before that uh, also. And so he's hurting. And you may be like, well, they want him to hurt. Why, wouldn't, why would they stop this random guy? Uh, and Cyrene is in North Africa, so he was probably visiting for Passover, and it's like 800 miles away from where he lived. And uh, you're like, why would they pull him aside? And I don't actually know from what their thoughts were, but I would assume just from context and from what was going on, if Jesus is carrying the cross and he falls, he suddenly becomes a sympathetic figure to everyone that's watching. It goes from oh, that revolutionary that's trying to, to do this or that guy who's trying to go against Rome or whatever stories that people were talking about about him that were false. Uh, if he falls, people start to be like, oh. 
and then it stops being quote-unquote fun for them to watch him die. Now, obviously, it's sick that this was a thing they were watching anyway, but the soldiers, the Pharisees, everybody involved, they didn't want him to be sympathetic. They wanted people to hate him. They wanted people to want him to die. They wanted this to happen uh, with anybody that was being crucified, but especially with him because he threatened them more than anyone else, not because he was doing anything, not because he actually wanted to take them down, but because any time... You live to the best of your abilities. Anytime you do your best, anytime uh, you, you do the right thing, that shines a spotlight not only on you, but on everybody else who doesn't. And so they see you. And sometimes people are like, oh man, they did the right thing. That's so awesome. But a lot of the time, they'll be like, I'm not living like that. That makes me feel better about myself. So I can either make myself do better or I can tear them down. And so Jesus living the right way and treating everyone the way that he did, even as he's dying, made everybody else feel bad about themselves. Now, some of the people, hopefully, and I believe they did, uh, watched and they turned to him and they realized, how did we watch this? How are we a part of this? Uh, I, Father, forgive me. But a lot of them were like, yeah, well, that's what he gets and things like that. And so they don't want him to be sympathetic. Uh, now, a cool thing about Simon, we don't know a lot about him past this. But his life was changed forever on this day. And so he saw what was happening. He felt the weight of the cross more than anybody but Jesus. And there are general thoughts, general theories, general feelings that his sons went on to become leaders in the Christian church in that area, which is a really cool thing and something good that came from it. And so he's going towards Golgotha, which is where just outside of Jerusalem, just, or just outside of town where they were trying to crucify people. Uh, in Latin, it means Calvary. So if you've ever heard the phrase Calvary, that's where this comes from. It's the place of the skull because not just because a bunch of people died there, but because that kind of looked like a skull. And uh, I believe we've got a group either in Israel or coming back from Israel now that some of them are from this church. And you can see that. Maybe some of you have been there to see that and you can kind of see what it's talking about. Uh, and then when it gets to the wine, you're like, well, why would they give this to him? Why would, they, why would he refuse it? Like, what's happening? So... Even though it was cruel in general, like period, to crucify people, to beat people, etc., uh, they would, it was a show. And so by that, I mean just like the gladiators back in the day when they would fight lions or fight each other, uh, the, the people in charge wanted entertainment for the masses because if the masses are entertained by what's going on, they're not looking at what the leadership is doing. And so the, they would give the criminal, the person that was dying, um, essentially uh, drugs to numb them, to numb the pain. Now, you might think, oh, that's at least a nice thing, but it was to make it last as long as possible so they could watch. Jesus had no interest in being numbed. He wanted to feel every bit of it for us. He wanted to show us what he was going through, not to say, hey, look at me, but to say, listen, I'm doing this for you so that you can change your life, so you can have a better way. Uh, we go to the next part. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So in another passage, uh, or in another book of the Gospel, uh, we hear a little bit more about the two revolutionaries, the two robbers. And one of them sees him and says, stop making fun of him. I want to change my life, Jesus. Will you forgive me? And Jesus, unlike almost anyone else, said, yes, I forgive you. And it shows us who we are. But here, that's not the story that we're looking at. We're looking at what is happening around him as he's dying for the people that are here mocking him. 
uh, the soldiers are gambling for his clothes. He's being mocked as the king of the Jews. Just doing what is right. Just doing everything that he could. Doing everything that he can to live for us. To die for us. To show us who he is and who we can be. And yet people are making fun of him. People are mocking him. Now, if you have ever been in a position where you're doing something for someone else, uh, you're trying to be kind or you're trying to help someone uh, or you're trying to do the right thing, and then those people that you're trying to help or somebody else that's around starts making fun of you, the immediate feeling, the immediate feeling for all of us is, well, I'm not going to do that then. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. Now, here is Jesus who has not done anything wrong at all, but he's dying on a cross for us, and people are making fun of him. Now, most people, probably everyone, well, definitely everyone but him, would say, well, this is dumb. Like, they don't deserve this, and they don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. And yet, he did not yell at them. He did not scream at them. He did not shout at them. He just forgave them, which is insane. Now, I want to talk a little bit about crucifixion before I go on, because we kind of know what happened. Uh, Carol was talking about the Passion Play. I'm sure that in your lives you've seen it on TV, or you've seen the Passion of the Christ, or you've seen some version of this. It's come close to showing what it's actually like sometimes, but it's really pretty hard to show exactly what happens. I talked about the whips, and I talked about everything that was awful before that. On the cross, the reason they nail your wrists is because it cuts the median nerve right in half, basically, which hurts. Just imagine fire being inside your body, and that's immediate, and then you're hanging by them. And then they put the nail through his uh, ankles, his feet, wherever. We think, well, you know, he dies from blood falling out, or he dies from the pain, or he dies from shock. Those are possible, but the main way people died from crucifixion is being unable to breathe, being suffocated. So when you're hanging like this, this isn't like how we see on the pictures or on the movies where he's kind of even with the cross and uh, you know the nails are holding him there and he's just kind of there dying. This is your flesh is ripping as you fall down and you're kind of hanging down and you have to lift yourself up in order to take a breath and every time you do that your flesh rips a little more, it hurts a little more, you lose more blood and it just it's agony. And then you have to finally, like, your muscles give out and you fall down again. If you've ever, uh, in gym or in something else, you've ran a mile. And then after you run the mile or after you've run a certain distance, you have to go up the stairs to go to class or whatever. Your legs are dying. I know that in my life, when I've gone to the gym for, like, two minutes, I'm just tired. And it's awful. And it's like, oh, man, my legs are just dying. And you're going and you're going and you're going. And then you have to do something else. And then you have to do something else. And you just keep walking. And it gets so hard. Now, a lot of you guys are young enough that it doesn't really feel that. But you've probably been in a situation where you've just been so exhausted you just can't do anything else. Now, this is what's happening, hanging there, because you're losing blood, you're losing consciousness, you're losing everything. And all of that would be hard enough on your own, like in a vacuum. But while he's doing that, while he's lifting himself up to still breathe, to still pray, to still show who he is, everyone else is making fun of him. The disciples are running away, and everybody else is kind of yelling things at him. And I'm not just talking the soldiers, I'm not just talking the Pharisees. I'm talking people who he had never even met before are yelling things at him. Now, we always focus on the actual cross, and we always focus on the resurrection, and all of those things are amazing and they're important. But what he went through shows how important you are. It shows how important we are. It shows how important this life is. Uh, 
Easter is once a year. I hope that's not a surprise to some of you. But it's once a year. Christmas is once a year. Those are the two biggest days in the church calendar. That's when most people come to church. It's when people that you've never seen will come in because it's a big day and it's an important day. And Christians are a lot nicer and so more people will come to church or uh, we'll invite more people because we're excited about it or whatever. But people fill the church. And so for us, we're all happy and we go up to Easter and people wear their, their suits and ties and Rob has a tux rented for next week and like all of these, uh, Tara has a prom dress and everything. Everybody's just all ready for Easter and everybody's so excited and happy because it's a victorious day because it's the day he rose and it's the day that the church really got victory. But there are 364 other days in a year that this is still true. And he died for that day, yes. But he died for the other 364 also. He died for us to live. He died for us to take this example of all of the pain he went through. And then to go through life. Now, you are going to face pain. Hopefully, you're never going to face anything close to this. But you're going to face emotional pain. And you're going to be abused. And you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be discouraged. And you're going to be hurt. And you're going to lose things and lose people. And all of these things suck. And you're going to feel it. And there are going to be times... That you feel like every time you lift yourself up to get your breath, to catch your breath, to find a moment, you're going to feel like it just it goes all over again and your head just keeps falling underwater or you just keep losing your breath or you just keep being yelled at or you keep being judged or you keep being disappointed or whatever happens. You, you're going to feel like that keeps happening. And the temptation for every single person, even the greatest Christian you can picture in your mind that you know that has had an impact on your life, the temptation is to give up. Because nobody, uh, it feels like nobody else helps and it feels like you're all alone. But this here, this paragraph here, this story here shows us that we're not alone. That's part of why Jesus did this. He did it to forgive our sins. He did it to be a sacrifice. He did it to prepare a place. All of those things are true and theologically important and for our lives important. But he also did it to show us what he would go through for us. So that when we go through a fraction of that, we know that he went before us and that he's with us and he will help us. It doesn't mean that you're not going to hurt anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel bad. It doesn't mean you're not going to be discouraged. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail. One of the things I said this morning uh, when I preached was failing does not make you a failure. Failing is a natural human thing that happens. And as much as I hate to fail, I do. Now, the reaction to that defines who you are. So if you react to that and you're like, okay, man, I made a bunch of steps forward or I was really improving my grade or I really w was feeling good about something and then this happened and I failed and I messed up and you just stick with that and you're like, well, I give up now. Then you're never going to find out what you're capable of. But when you fail and you learn from it and you say, God, help me to not do this again or help me to learn from this or you apologize or you admit you're wrong or whatever. But you look at Jesus and you say, Thank you for giving me the chance to learn from this, for giving me the chance to grow from this. Uh, going to the next part, the last part of the scripture. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple to rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you were the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so, that God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. 
uh, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. So I think that, again, most of us, if we had written this or if we were living this, when someone says, if he just comes down, I'll believe in him, they mean that in a way. Like Jesus had the power and had the ability uh, to stop this. Like he could have healed himself right on the cross because he healed people every day. Like he healed blind people. He healed deaf people. He healed people from leprosy. Like he did this stuff. He knew he could do this. If he had pulled himself off of the cross and like slowly floated down and said, hey, I told you, you, you can't do this. I am in charge. He could have done that. And everyone there for that moment would have said, wow, we were wrong. We were wrong. Now, here's the thing about people admitting they're wrong. For one, it very rarely happens. But for two, uh, you will find as you get older that adults can be painfully stubborn. And I include that in myself and I include that in you guys when you become adults. Because we like to believe what we believe. We like to do what we do. We like to think that we're always right, etc. It's been found that the first story, the first headline is what people remember, even if it's been proven false immediately. And I'm going to use an example, and some of you hate the Patriots, that's fine, I don't really care. Uh, they've cheated before I get that. But in this moment, there was a, they were accused of deflating footballs. A week later, scientists and people in the NFL were like, oh, this was actually not true. Like this actually, this was within the realm of possibility for when for the football being in the cold, etc. No one cares about that. ESPN barely even said it. Like, it just goes on. And it's not that people wanted to be wrong, but it's like they know that first thing you see is what you remember. So back to this, had he dropped down, obviously nobody there is going to forget it. But in a little bit, in a week, in a month, in a year, whatever, they're going to be like, yeah, but what do you do today? Like, that was a long time ago. What if my memory is playing tricks on me? Or what if it was a hallucination? Or what if, you know, there was magic? Or what if they're going to try to convince themselves because the first thing they thought was he deserves this. The first thing they thought was, well, at least it's not me, whatever it was. And so by dying, he actually showed more about who he is and more about his power. Because the fact that he could have rescued himself shows it that much more impressively that he didn't because he rescued us instead. And that again shows us who we are. It shows us what we could be. Uh, I recently heard someone, and nobody you guys know, uh, say that this is actually not a self, like Jesus doesn't actually call us to be self-sacrificing. And that really bothered me. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus wants you all to suffer and he wants you all to just give everything all the time to other people. Like, I'm not saying that. You know, he wants you to have the life that, that you can try to have. He wants you to do your best, etc. But that not being self-sacrificing, to me, that's just not true. Uh, now, I'm sure somebody could make a case. I'm sure there are people smarter than me that could say something about it and find pieces here and there. But this shows me the opposite. Because he sacrificed everything for us. Now, we will sacrifice in different ways. We will sacrifice things that we want for things that we need. We will sacrifice uh, getting revenge for forgiving. We will sacrifice, uh, in some cases, a lot of money that we could make by illegal means or through cheating or through whatever uh, for less money for just doing the right thing. I get it. It stinks and it's hard and it's counterintuitive. But that's what we do. 
And that's what he is showing, and that's what this story is about. It is absolutely about the fact that he died for our sins, and we have a chance to pray for forgiveness and go to heaven. That is the core of everything. But it is also the example of how he did it. It is also the example of what he did. It is also the example of how he lived. And all of that came to a, a, a point here, where as he's dying, as he's literally losing all of his breath for us, everyone there is making fun of him. There are going to be days, like I said, that you feel like everyone is making fun of you. And it hurts. It hurts. And if you hurt from that, that's okay because that's normal. And yet he continued doing it because it was the right thing, because it was for us to show us, to give us strength, to give us the chance to not have to do this. Like I said, Easter is once a year. Uh, this week, next week, I know we don't have youth next week, but like through this month, every Christian that you run into is going to be really happy to, to talk about Jesus or to show you Jesus or to, to just be kinder. And then we get to May. And May's okay. But there's really nothing special in May, like Memorial Day, but that's to go away from stuff and have vacation. And then you get to June, and it's like, well, summer, we don't have school anymore. We don't, you know, I don't have to work quite as much or whatever. And all of these things go, go, go until you get to the calendar, and then you get to Christmas again. And it's like, oh, I'm happy again. Like, I'm going to show people that I love them. And we do that all of the time. All of us do that all of the time. But what Jesus did here was to say, hey, do this all of the time. Be like me all of the time. Love everyone all of the time. Be forgiving all of the time. Pray all of the time. Do your best all of the time. And that's something all of us can do. Now here's another key, and this is from this morning too. A lot of times we will picture people, like I said, the, the top Christians, or people who have made a big difference, and that's good. And we put them on a pedestal, not like in a, a, a worshiping way, but in a like, I really want to shoot for that. I want to be like them, and that's fine. But every single person you can imagine, from Billy Graham to Rob to me to whoever, every single Christian has struggled at some point and struggles with something now. And we all start at the same place. But we all go at our pace by going with him, by talking to him. And so regardless of your age, regardless of where you are in your faith, regardless of how often you've gone to church, you can go step by step by looking at what he did here and say, that was for me, I'm going to do my best. And you do your best, and you do your best, and maybe the next day you fail. Well, on that day, instead of saying, well, I'm just going to keep going backwards now for a while, you say, okay, so why did I fail? What did I do wrong? How can I improve from this? And then you have people around you that will say, hey, let's pray, or let's talk, or let's work through this. And then you go, and you go, and you go, step by step by step by step. And that's how you do it. You're never going to be to a point where it's like, well, you know what, I want to be here I want to be the best person imaginably and imaginable, and tomorrow I'm going to do it. It takes time. So be forgiving of yourself just as you're forgiving of others, and do your best. And don't just take Easter as like a, hey, you know, this is Easter, exciting, yay. But take it as an example of how you can live each day as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go home. And do your best and know that he is with you every step of the way. That's and that's all I got.